At church during Christmas, we have several emphasis that we underscore. One is Operation uh, Christmas Child, where we take shoe boxes and and we've done that the last few uh, weeks. And thank you for your participation. This is Angel Tree, and you can pick up an angel next next two Sundays out here in the causeway as you traverse up and down the hallways. And this are these are gifts that go to uh, children who has a parent in in prison. And a lot of times, the only Christmas they'll receive will be this type of gift. And we do it in the name of Christ. A third is our operation, or excuse me, our Lottie Moon World Christmas offering. More about that in the next few weeks. In two weeks, I'll preach on the life of Adoniram Judson. And I'm, it's hard not to do it this morning. I've been studying his life. What a man. But the other is our concert, which will be at the North Charleston Performing Arts Center on Monday the 3rd of December at 7 o'clock. Now, um, this is going to be phenomenal, and I'll just say this. If you go to this concert and you're, you don't think it's auricularly pleasing, it's Christ-honoring, it is not one of the best programs you will hear this Christmas or maybe ever see me, and I will give you 10 bucks. Okay, I'll give you $10. And uh, I think, I, I think I, it's going to be a very safe wager there. So this is something you should come to, bring your neighbors your friends. It's going to be a presentation of the gospel in music. It won't be preachy. It'll be a chance for you to go and bring someone. And as they, as you go out for a tea afterwards or hot chocolate or whatever you do, just say, well, what, what do you think about this? What do you think about this statement? It's a great way to expose people to the gospel. It'll be a week from Monday, seven o'clock, $10 challenge. Parking is free. So you, there's no way for you to lose in this thing. So that will be uh, the 3rd of December. So, church, we are in Psalm 118 as we have this Thanksgiving theme. And in chapter 118 and verse 5, the psalmist says, In my anguish I cried to the Lord, and he answered me by setting me free. In my anguish or distress, I cried out to the Lord, and He answered me, and He set me free. And in Galatians 5, this theme of freedom is spoken of. In Galatians 5, verse 1, it says, It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm then. Stand firm then. And do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. He says in verse 7, you were running a very good race. Who cut in on you to take away the ability for you to run the race? Okay, so, so it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Our responsibility is to stand in that freedom. To rejoice in who Christ is. And to acknowledge what he has done for us. It is the freedom of the child of God. And then he says in Psalm 118, verses 6 through 7, he talks about the character of God. When he says this, it's a question, how do you walk in freedom? Will you remember the character of God? He says, the, the Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? The Lord is with me. He's my helper. I will look and triumph on my enemies. <clears throat> the, the Lord is my helper. He is the one who is with me. The Lord watches over me. I will look in triumph on my enemies. And as he contemplates and understands the character of God and and glories in the character of God, 
Then he resolutely says, I will seek refuge in the Lord. The second way we have freedom, we think about the character of God, we contemplate the character of God, and and then we intentionally take refuge in the Lord. Listen to these verses. Verses 8 and 9. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. And I said last week that taking refuge in the Lord is, is an, an act of intentionally looking unto God and asking Him to work in our lives by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit has three main functions for us as we think about taking refuge in the Lord. Number one, He spotlights our sin and shows us where we're going wrong so we can get back on the path. He came to convict us, the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Number two, He opens for us the truth of the Word of God. We cannot understand or rightly apply the Word of God apart from the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. And thirdly, He exalts the great name of Christ and makes the name of Christ central and beautiful and glorious in our sight. Our cry should be, come Holy Spirit. And from there, we go to verse 10, the cry of triumph. It says this, all the nations surrounded me, but in the name of the Lord, I cut them off. As I contemplated the character of God and took refuge in Him by the power of the Holy Spirit, I cut them off in the name of the Lord. They surrounded me on every side, but in the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They swarmed around me like bees, but they died out as quickly as burning thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. The the, the cry of triumph. The the cry of, of joy. He says, I was pushed back and about to fall. But the Lord helped me. The Lord has become my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. And I want that. As you contemplate the character of God, as you take refuge in Him by the Holy Spirit, as you walk in the power of the name of the Lord, the Lord has become for me my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. I want that. I want that gladness. I want that joy. I want that peace. I want that hope. And then we come to to this passage we're going to look at today, verse 19 to 24, where it says says this. And this is the ultimate reason for his thanksgiving. The ultimate reason. Open for me the gates of the righteous. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. I will give you thanks for you answered me. You have become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done it in this very day. So therefore, let us rejoice today and be, be glad. The, the ultimate reason for thanksgiving was because the psalmist saw a day coming when all of this would be fulfilled in Messiah King. The psalmist could have written a hymn penned by a man named Charles Wesley or John Wesley who wrote, Come, thou long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. 
from our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth thou art, dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. Come, thou long-expected Jesus. Second Corinthians chapter 1, verse 19 says this regarding the promises of Christ. Second Corinthians chapter 1 says that all the promises are fulfilled in the person and the work of Christ. Listen to verse 19 and 20. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who is preached among you by me in Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him it has always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are all yes in Christ. And so through him the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. All the promises find their fulfillment in Christ. Come thou long-expected Jesus. Or I think of Luke chapter 24, the road to Emmaus. These men are lamenting the death of Messiah, whose name was Jesus. And it says this in verse 25, as their companion unfolds the scripture to them, their companion is Jesus, the resurrected Christ. This, this is, this, to me, this is one of the wildest stories in the Bible. These, these guys are heartbroken because Christ has been crucified. The, their hope is dead and in the ground, so they think. And so they're just, they're forlorn, they're beat up, they're psychologically downcast, they're just emotionally spent. And, and, and Christ is walking with them. And, and he says, why are you so, why, why are you so downcast and discouraged and downhearted? And, 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 and they say, have, where have you been? Where have you been? Have you been on a vacation somewhere without internet? Haven't you heard what happened to Jesus, our teacher? Haven't you heard? Listen. They said, we can't find his body. The women came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. They, they don't get it. Now listen. And he said to them, how foolish you are and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, began at the very beginning, went to Genesis 3.15. And then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And their eyes were opened. And they saw that all the promises from the Old Testament are fulfilled in the work of Christ upon the cross. And they could sing, Come thou long expected Jesus. And so we go to this text. And this text finds its fulfillment and its hope, ultimate thanksgiving in the person of Christ. It says in verse 19, Open for me the gates of the righteous. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. The, the, the gate of the Lord is, is Christ himself. In John chapter 10, Jesus says this. 
He says, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. I am the fulfillment of Psalm 118. I am the gate the righteous go in through. I am the gate you go in and out of and find pasture. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I'm the gate. You enter in and out through me. I'm the fulfillment of Psalm 118. And then they say in verses 22, the psalmist says in verse 22 and 23, listen, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice today and be glad. The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone, the cornerstone. Jesus is the fulfillment of the hope of Psalm 118. Listen to Mark chapter 12. Christ says there is a man who planned a vineyard. He put a wall around it. He dug a pit. He rented the vineyard. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants to collect. They, they, they beat the tenant up, and they sent him away empty-handed. He sent another servant to them. They struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. They sent still another, and that one they killed. He sent many others. Some of them they beat, others they killed. He had left only one son to send whom he loved. He sent him at last, saying, They will respect my son. But the tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him, and they killed him, and they threw him out of the vineyard. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Haven't you read the scripture, Jesus says? Haven't you read Psalm 118? The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Christ is saying, I am the fulfillment of Psalm 118. All the scripture finds its fulfillment and its promises are fulfilled in me. First Peter has the same theme in First Peter chapter 2. It says this. For the scripture says, See, I lay in Zion a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now, to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. Christ was rejected by his countrymen. But for him, he, for us who are grafted in, those who believe, he is precious. It is marvelous in our eyes. He is Almighty God. And as I read this, here's, here's what I just was thinking about. When I read this text, it says here in 1 Peter that it is, this is precious to us. It says in Psalm 118 that it is, it is marvelous in our eyes. And the question I ask is this. Is the reality of Christ... The fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Is that marvelous in our eyes? One version says, 
It is so fantastic, our eyes could not begin to even look at it. Is it marvelous that the stone that the builders rejected, the stone that the builders, i.e. the Jews, crucified on the cross, is it marvelous to us that he has become the cornerstone, the capstone? He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is Almighty God. Is it marvelous to us, or, or if you're a follower of Christ, and as this Christmas approaches, is it marvelous to you, or is it just, has it become somewhat just part of who you are, but it doesn't bring th- th- thrills? Uh, th- it doesn't bring deep worship. If you're not a Christ follower, understand He is the cornerstone. He is Almighty God who died on the cross for our sins. But it, it, whatever, is it marvelous? And then I thought, I've been reading about a, a guy named Lot in the Old Testament. And, and the difference between finding Christ marvelous and the life of Lot. Lot was in the Old Testament. He was a kinsman of a man named Abraham. And he settled on one part of a fertile plain and his older uncle Abraham settled on the other part of the fertile plain. The, 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 the problem, they went up on this mountain and they said, Abraham said, Lot, you choose what you, where you want to live and I'll choose where I want to live. And Lot looked up and he saw, he saw over towards the east, he said, man, look at that vegetation, look at that growth, look at that incredible beauty. Man, you could, you, you could fatten countless heads of animals with that lush property. He said, I'm going to choose the east. But there's one problem. In the east, there are a couple of towns named Sodom and Gomorrah. Places of evil and perversion. And so Lot pitched his tent close to Sodom. And then the years unfolded. And there's some issues that happened. And, 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 and one day, the Lord said, the, the outcry against Sodom is so great that I'm going to destroy it. The perversion, the wickedness is so great, I'm going to destroy it. And so he has this conversation with Abraham, and finally some angels go to Sodom, and they're going to save Lot and his family from ultimate destruction. And and the angels came to town, and they were new in this small village, and so the men were so given over to perversion, they, they said, we've got to have these angels. And they knocked on Lot's door, says, bring the men out. And Lot, showing how unwise he is, says, well, I have two virgin daughters. I'll give them to you. And they said, no, we want the men. And the angels, they were angels looking like men. The angels, the visitors, struck them with blindness so they couldn't find the doorknob to Lot's house, these men. And uh, the next day, they said, you know, Lot, we're going to destroy this place. Now, he's seen the angels spare his family, strike the men with blindness. He knows what's coming. But in Genesis 19, it says that Lot, it's a terrible word, lingered. He He lingered. He, he lingered. 
And the angels had to forcibly get him and take him out of this place. Basically, they're going to destroy as the emissaries of God. Now, I, I just, as I thought of this, I thought, you know, am, am I a, someone who finds Christ marvelous or am I one who lingers over the things of the world? I, is, I, I want Jesus to be more marvelous this Christmas than last Christmas. I want to understand the greatness of Christ more now than last year. So I just wrote down how to become a lingerer, just some bullet statements. The first is this, you, you, you operate on the basis of the expedient without seeking God. You just, you just lot, look plain, looks good. He didn't really see God. I'll choose that. Boom, failure. The second way you become a lingerer is that you immerse yourself with godless companions. He lived among those people. Now, Second Peter says that, the, that the, 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 the righteous soul of Lot was vexed by what he saw, but he also lived among them. You know, when, you get, when he got to Sodom, I'm sure he was shocked, and his shock led to disgust, and his disgust led to a benign accustomedness to what was going on. I think of this incredible poem by Alexander Pope that says something like this. It says, Vice is a monster of such frightful mien as to be hated, and he's but to be seen, yet seen too oft. We grow accustomed to his face. First we endure, then we pity, then we embrace. So, so you, just, you just grow accustomed to godlessness, and you're no longer grieved or sickened over sin. And I'll just ask, as far as being a lingerer, am I sickened over sin? I was talking to someone this week that is a very wise man. I respect him very much. And we're talking about the situation with General Petraeus. And he said, yes, a shame. He says, really, could, there, there are a lot of those guys, those leaders that do stuff like that. And I said, stop. I said, don't buy that lie. Do not buy that lie. There are many leaders at every level in our culture who live with dignity and diligence and care and concern and propriety. Do not buy the lie. Do not watch the news so much that you're beaten in the head and you think that everybody lives that way. They do not. What he did was shameful. It was horrendous. And he should be helped up to ridicule. He'd be forgiven. But what happens, you just, you, you, you just live in a culture where you're just beat down and beat down and beat down. See, and then you throw in the towel. Don't be a lingerer. Linger here. Not at Fox or CSNBC. You linger here. And the third thing you do to be a a lingerer is is make sure you marry a godless woman or a godless man. You go out there and you you, you find somebody that doesn't have a, a care about the things of God and they're going to be shaped by the zeitgeist of their culture and instead of finding Christ marvelous, they're just going to linger and linger and linger and be conformed. You marry that type of person. There's one little, if you ever have to memorize a verse of scripture before you can eat supper, say Luke 17, 32. You ready? We're going to memorize a verse this morning. Remember Lot's wife. Past potatoes. Three words. Jesus says, remember Lot's wife. 
remember people who a person who just loved to linger and who let the hooks of culture get into her, her soul in such a fashion that when she was fleeing, she looked back, I think, longingly, lovingly. God judged her. The old confessions of faith say that there, there, are, there are three reasons for getting married. Number one is mutual help. Number two is to have children. And number three is the prevention of immorality. Thank God when you marry somebody who mutually helps you on the way of the life of Christ. But if you want to be a linger, you make sure you marry someone who's godless. You make sure you don't guard your marriage or build your marriage or blow your energy into your marriage. See, and the end result of all this lingering, instead of finding Christ marvelous, the, the end result is that this is, what, this is what breaks my heart. Lot lost his moral authority. He lost his moral authority. The angel said, we're going to judge your city. You've got to get out. And Lot says, well, let me go to my family. His daughters were engaged to two young men. He goes to two young men and he pleads with them, leave the city. God is going to destroy it. And the Bible says his sons thought that he was jesting with them. jesting Lot wasn't earnest about the things of God before his future sons-in-law because he hung out and he lingered and when you linger and you don't live it out and you're married to a godless woman and the hooks get in your soul you lose your moral authority conversely is Jesus marvelous in our eyes? We rub our eyes because we can hardly believe the reality of Messiah King. I was uh, reading a book this week about William Carey, one of my heroes, Carey of Missionary to India, died in 1834. Whew, what a guy. Goes to India in 1793, never comes back to England, buries two wives, several children, a grandchild, lives in Calcutta. Wow. William Carey had, uh, his wife went with him, and shortly after arriving in India in 1793, she lost her mind. And as antiquated as it seems to us now, in those days when somebody lost their mind and threatened physical harm to other people, they would restrain them in a chair with leather straps along the wrist and the feet. And he would feed her and bathe her. And twice she tried to kill him because she thought he was trying to hurt her. He was not. He was patient. He was kind. Really from 17 to about 95, after they buried a child, until 1807, she was in the state. It's, it's amazing. And, and, he, and he just stood by the stuff. He had a gift for language. He learned an almost obsolete language that was endemic to that part of the world because he realized it was the basis for many Indian dialects, like Latin is for ours. And he learned that dialect, and he translated the Bible, either holy, New Testament, either holy or in part, into 34 different languages so the people of India could read about Jesus. Amazing. 
And so year after year, he bathed and cared for this woman who was losing her mind. And in the midst of this, he writes a, a, a letter to his sisters. I'm just going to read you this, two short letters. He says, I am very fruitless and almost useless, but the word of God and the attributes of God are my hope and my confidence and my joy. And I trust that this is, that, that, that his glorious designs will undoubtedly be answered in my life. He stood by the stuff because Jesus and the promises of Christ were marvelous in his eyes. You see, what gives us a stick to a diligence, a joy? What causes glad songs of salvation to resound in our lives and our homes? We have a vision of a glorious, conquering, wonderful, marvelous Savior whose name is Jesus. Well, he, she died. He buried her. He married another woman. They had a wonderful marriage. He buried her. He married again. And he wrote this letter on his 70th birthday. Now, this is, this is 34 years after the first letter. He's three years before he goes to heaven. And this is what William Carey writes. This one paragraph. I, but I, I am this day 70 years old, a monument of divine mercy and goodness, though on review of my life, I find much, very much, for which I ought to be humbled into the dust. My direct and positive sins are innumerable. My negligence in the Lord's work has been great. I have not promoted his cause, nor sought his glory and honor as I ought. Stop. 34 languages. Uh, On any scale, I would say he's, he's, he's done pretty good. You know what I mean? But here's, the closer you get to Jesus, the more you see his glory, and the more you see your unworthiness. That's a problem with the self-esteem movement. Just fails the biblical test. Says this, and this is a journal he wrote. Didn't think anybody would ever read this. He says, "Notwithstanding all this, I am spared till now, and am still retained in His work. I trust for acceptance with Him to the blood of Jesus Christ alone, and I hope I am received into the divine favor only through Him." I wish to be more and more entirely devoted to his service, more completely sanctified, and more habitually exercising all the Christian graces and bringing forth the fruits of righteousness to the praise and honor of that Savior who gave his life as a sacrifice for sin. Now, why did Carrie stick to it and go forward and walk? He said to his son, he said, son, I'm a plodder. I just plod. Why was he such a glorious plodder? Because the reality of Christ was marvelous in his sight. And, and that's the ultimate reason for Thanksgiving Psalm 118. The, 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 the work of Christ is absolutely marvelous in our sight. I want to be that way in my life and, and yours. Oh, behold the wonder of Jesus. Behold the glory, behold the fact that God became a man.
and lived a perfect life and died on the cross for my sins. And he rose victorious over death and he ascended and he poured out the Holy Spirit. And he's given us his word and he guides us. Behold the greatness of Christ. Behold the hope of Jesus. I want that. I want that. I want glad songs of salvation to resound in the tents of the righteous as they say, the Lord, the Lord has done great things. The right hand of the Lord triumphs. The Lord exalts the lowly. The right hand of the Lord triumphs. The Lord has done great things. I just, I, I want that. I, I want Christ to be marvelous in your eyes as you look at the cross. So, there's, I was doing some research a few weeks ago. I came, I was doing some research on some hymns. I'll be close then. Right? Anyway, so there, there, was, there were some hymns I was looking at, a couple of hymns, and I thought, you know, these, these hymns are, they're, they're okay, but they're kind of like, there's no content. There's no, there's, there's, there's nothing that just grips you. You just go, wow. They're just, then I did research on the woman who wrote the hymns. And she started out as a Presbyterian. And, you know, Christ honoring. And for the large part of her adult life, she became a Unitarian. Unitarians believe that God is one and God is undefinable and God is not triune and Jesus is not God and yeah. And then later in life, she came back and became an Episcopalian. So, but as I read her hymns, I just said, there's just, there's just, there's just, God is not defined. Jesus isn't talked about except as an example. There's just nothing there. There's nothing marvelous about Christ here. And then, then I just thought, I love Christmas hymns. I love hymns. I, I love, I, I, I love Isaac Watts, who, by the way, today is the death date of Isaac Watts. He died on November the 25th, 1748. Happy death date to you, Brother Isaac. Went to glory. Let me tell you something. When Isaac Watts pinned joy to the world, he was trembling over the marvelous nature of Jesus. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ. Sing it. And he says, this is my favorite stanza. No more, no more. Let sins and sorrows reign, or thorns infest the ground. He came to make his blessings flow, far as the curse is found. Jesus came to change us. Jesus came to reverse the curse. Substantially, not totally, but substantially. Jesus came so that glad songs of salvation could resound in our homes. Is he marvelous in your eyes? Is he glorious? Brothers, don't linger. 
Don't linger. Run to the cross. J.C. Ryle wrote a book called Holiness. I'll just read this. It's just one paragraph. It is a great book written by this Anglican in the 19th century. And he says this. He says... He says, I want my people to know more and more about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. (laughs) I say it because I want professing Christians to know more about Jesus. It is well to be acquainted with the doctrines and principles of Christianity. It is better to be acquainted with Christ himself. It is well to be familiar with faith and grace and justification and sanctification. Absolutely. They are all matters pertaining to King Jesus. But it's far better to be familiar with Jesus himself, to see the king's own face and to behold his beauty. This is one secret of imminent holiness. He that would be conformed to Christ's image and become a Christ-like man must be constantly studying the Lord Jesus himself. I just say amen. Is he marvelous in your eyes? Thank you, Lord, for the day. Thank you for the testimony of the psalmist who said that that, that there's a gate that the righteous go through. Thank you, Jesus, you said, I'm the gate. Thank you, the psalmist said that the, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. Thank you, Jesus, you said three different times in the Gospels, I am that capstone. And the Apostle Peter said, he is that capstone. Thank you that the psalmist was speaking of the coming Messiah King. And he said that this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice. It is marvelous in our eyes. God, let us be a people who say Jesus is marvelous in our eyes. (sighs) Don't let us linger. Don't let us linger. Let us be people who say he is marvelous. In Jesus' name, amen.